You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, if you haven't heard, I've slowed down my weekly blogging to just two or three times a week. But if you want five exclusive articles from me, join the Producers Perspective Pro. You'll get it in your newsletter mailed directly to your home. Yes, it comes in the mail. Not in the email. Check out theproducersperspectivepro.com. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Ken Davenport here. This is the Producers Perspective podcast. Today, we're going to talk to someone who spends most of her time behind a glass wall. Uh, She's on the front line of the Broadway marketing machine. I'm so excited to talk to her because she actually talks to customers. She's the head box office treasurer at your Jamson St. James Theater, a Producers Perspective. Welcome to Chris Stasiak. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, let's let's start with how you got into the ticket selling game. Where did this begin for you? How how much time do we have? We have plenty <laughs> of time. I want to hear all this stuff. Being very short and sweet, I was 16 years old. I started working at the Capitol Theater in Pasig, New Jersey. I was selling hot dogs. I was a hawker going up and down the you know the lanes, going you know hot dogs, popcorn. Uh, from there, I managed the hawking stand, and then I went into the box office. From there. Interestingly enough, that was where the Grateful Dead's um, East Coast offices were, because it was the the East Coast promoter, Monarch and Metropolitan Entertainment, were the Grateful Dead's East Coast promoter. So I became the voice of the Dead Hotline for a little while, worked all the major on-sales, U2, The Who, I mean, all of it. It was so fascinating. Saw Ticketron become Ticketmaster. It's just a really cool way to grow up. And I worked at the Capitol and other concerts through college 
and have decided decided I was going to be a marketing person and had a marketing degree and said, I'm not going to be a part of this world anymore and couldn't find a job. You know, you need experience to get a marketing job. And my job was in entertainment. And so they hired me at Metropolitan and I was the assistant manager to the assistant to the box office manager, <laughs> making like a dollar a week. I don't even remember how little it was. But I worked there for almost 10 years. Fascinating backstage stuff. I actually worked as the guest list girl over here at 54th Street when it was the Ritz. And when it was Clubland, I was the girl at the door that checked you in. Wow, so you that had a was, lot of power. So that was part of my, you know, old school training was, you know, rip tickets. And I was involved with Woodstock 94. I was involved in Amnesty International. I was involved in some of like the big, big, big concerts. And then a good friend of mine told me about a job opening at Radio City. And that was 96. And I moved over there, which was very corporate. It was jeans and cowboy boots up until then. And now I have to wear a suit. And so I was the first assistant treasurer at Radio City for 17 years. So that was my foray into the unions, into more of a, a theatrical type of industry because the Radio City uh, Christmas Spectacular is, I mean, that's, that's an event all to itself. But it was still at least at concerts, which was fun. And that was, yeah, 17 years. After that, let's see, after that. A little bit of Broadway. I ran a children's museum for a while. So that was another type of ticketing. Also pretty cool. And then from there, back to Broadway. And then I wound up as being the head of ticketing for the New York Red Bulls. So I found myself at a sports uh, club, a professional sports club, which was, again, education up the wazoo. I had to learn about season tickets and subscriptions and just a different clientele and a different patron and a whole different way of looking at ticketing. And then Jujamson came knocking on my door. So we're going to get back to Jujamson, of course. But do you, what I love about you is you've had such a diverse background in selling all sorts of things from the Red Bulls to concerts to hot dogs. <laughs> so is there one thing that all of these different forms of entertainment have in common in terms of selling them? Is there one thing that's like, oh, yep, it's the same principle no matter what it is. Or are they all different and require their own different strategy? I think there's two answers to that. Number one, it's always supply and demand. So depending on how hot your event is, you're going to sell to that. You know, if you have very little tickets to be able to sell, you know, you can sell them for whatever you want. You can, you know, you are in control of this dynasty. I mean, look at Hamilton right now, or look at look at something like, you know, a Billy Joel concert back in the beginning where there's a very limited supply out there. You are the gatekeeper, you know, so that's, you sell that differently. You control the inventory for that and you control the dynamic price. But when you have something that needs a little more care and a little more pushing, that's when promotions come into play and your um, discounts come into play and getting creative and thinking outside of the box and going to those, you know, gold stars and living socials. And I think that you have to approach each event separately, not just even a performance. Each event has to be completely separate. And the clientele also is going to be very different for each one of those. I mean, if you also, there's, there's really interesting demographics. If you look at it, like there's Ticketmaster has this one tool called Live Analytics, which will, for a fee, they will tell you who your 
who your buyers are. And not only will they tell you that they're going to buy your tickets, but they'll tell you this same customer drives a Mercedes, is going to see Billy Joel, will likely go see an opera and take their kids to this and this museum. Because these trends are now so out there that you can customize your marketing plans accordingly. So, I mean, I could probably sell anything to anybody if I just have a face-to-face conversation with them and I size them up. And that's what a good treasurer does. And the internet provides us with all those, the cookies and the searches and things like that so that we know what they're looking at as well. You know, what they bought on Amazon. So, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. The sports music theater, Mm -hmm. which one is the most challenging to sell? To me, sports was. And why? Fickle fans, if you're not performing correctly, they ch- they tend to leave. You lose a couple of games, they're gone. Soccer especially, we had a very international clientele that if you weren't playing against an Ecuadorian player, let's say, most of those fans aren't going to come. They're more into the Premier League and things that are com- coming out of Spain and Portugal and and Europe, and they don't necessarily care so much about the MLS. So that was very interesting, you know, from coming from Radio City where I had an hour line to buy a ticket to on a, any given day at the Red Bulls, I might have 10 people walking up. So fascinating. That was, fa- how do we get out there? How do we, how do we market that? And we departments and departments of that and research and research to try and figure that out. You know, if you have, you know, the top players playing for you, then that's going to be simple for you. But if you're watching your payroll, which not a lot of New York sports teams do, you have a challenge because you start losing, they walk away. You know, it never dawned on me before, but it's so simple. It's their big star players are just like us putting stars in shows. You have a star player, you have an A-Rod or no more. Mm You have a big star in a Broadway musical, people will come right away. It doesn't mean they'll stay, though. No, it doesn't mean they'll stay. And that's a lot of times people buy their season tickets. And what the, how they make back what they're buying for season tickets is they're going to sell the game where you're playing against the better pitcher. Or, you know, the other team who won the World Series the, the year before. You're going to sell those off. The money that you make is going to pay for the rest of your series. Interesting. So tell me, what's the day in uh, day in the life of a Broadway treasurer? Like you just drove in through traffic from New Jersey to get here today. Thank you so much. And uh, you'll go to to work later. What's the typical day like for a treasurer? Um, a lot of it is inventory control. Our our show has been around for a year and a half already, so it's we are careful to make sure that pricing is correct, that we have enough seats on sale at every price level. The groups are being managed. The number one priority for every treasurer is the patron, because the folks that come into our theater are our guests. They're, they're coming into our home. And so it's, it's me presenting this to the folks that work for me, and then also projecting it to the people that are coming to the window. As we want that first touch point to be the best. So even if you come from two hours of traffic, and your wife has given you a shopping list, and you're irritated, and you come, and you're talking to a guy, and you want to yell at him because you just had... Uh, you know, a crap morning, it's our responsibility to turn that around. And it's to say, don't worry about it. We got you. We're going to take care of it. What does she need? What are the dates that you require? What can you wallet there? 
and you, you kind of bring their shoulders down and you say, we're going to make this an enjoyable situation for you. And that's our craft. And that's what we're supposed to do. So I think that's the first and most important thing. So my responsibility is number one to my staff. A happy staff means the people that they're selling to are going to be happier. At least that's the way I felt along all my years so far. I'm responsible to Andrew Jamson. I have to make sure that all the correspondences and requests and reporting and all that is done in a timely fashion. They're an amazing company to work for. Very open, technologically savvy, uh, all important things. You know, I'm responsible to the company. So whatever the company needs, their comp requests, their house seats, what does the cast and crew need? Let's take care of that. There's lotteries, there's rushes, there's, you know, that happens on a daily basis. So you kind of juggle all those. I'm not saying one is priority over the other, but as a situation arrives, you know, one tends to go in front. And how has your day or ticketing in general changed over the last 20 years? Like how has the shift in responsibility for a treasurer? Well, I mean, 20 years ago, I'm not sure if 20 years ago there were still hard tickets. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe some of the houses might have still had hard tickets. That was a a chore altogether. I mean, I'm sure you recall those days, you know, when the treasurers were able to hold them up to their ear and and roll them and they would say, okay, that's 50. And that, that always amazed me. There's so much knowledge in some of the guys that have been in the business for a long, long time. Managing that inventory was probably a most daunting task. Your patrons are different. I mean, think about Broadway used to be put a suit on, you put a dress on, you planned months in advance. Now, sales are a week of, day of. The booth is part of your strategy. That, I mean, that change in itself, and I'm, you know, the internet also changes things extremely. That's a blessing and a curse. When you go on Ticketmaster online and you pull up any particular show, when you use their interactive seat map, you see all the inventory that's available. So if you see the entire theater is open, is that pressuring you to buy anything? Or do you say, ah, I can wait to see and wait two more weeks to decide. So that right there changes how you have to control inventory. Like, do I want them to see 1,500 seats available for a performance in November? Is that the right way to go? Or do you manipulate it? I think that there's a catch-22 there. So, I, I mean, it's night and day. I honestly believe it's night and day. We have to reprint tons of tickets because ticket fast version of Ticketmasters, you know, you print them to your phone or you're supposed to print them on your printer. A lot of the houses don't scan from uh, the phones yet. And so they'll come to the window and say, my tickets are on my phone. And we're like, you're supposed to print them. I'm like, well, I don't have a printer. They chose TicketFast because they thought they would get their tickets faster. Semantics have changed. That's just, just like anything else, though. You mentioned all the knowledge that these, these guys have from way back in the day. Yeah. And just I noticed you use the word guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the treasurers, it's a bit of an old boys club still. I mean, how many women treasurers are there compared to men nowadays? There's probably, let's see, probably five or six of us out of 40. So certainly a small percentage. Is that a challenge? I don't think, and it's never really been for me. Everyone has ever been, you know, welcoming. I think it's more about knowledge and openness and wanting to share what you know and and being humble enough to say, you've been doing this for 40 years. What can you teach me? 
At least that's what I would hope. I mean, we are a big, happy family. It's Local 751 is a pretty tight organization, and I'm proud to be a part of it. So, uh, I mean, I'm happy to be one of the, I'm not the first woman, I certainly won't be the last, but I'm excited about that. I'm the first at the St. James. Anna J. Jameson, I believe. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty big. Yeah. What's the biggest myth about box office treasurers that you'd love to dispel? Hmm. I've only been doing this for 11 months, so I don't know any mysteries about me just yet. Any cl- any cliches about treasurers that people would Well, I guess it's think? That, that typical opinion that it's going to be a white, Italian, or Irish man in his 60s, and I think that's no longer the case. And even thing is, is those guys are, you know, you want to put somebody at your dinner table and talk to them about what they've seen and heard. That would be so interesting. I'm not even sure what people think of treasurers, to be quite honest with you. You know, no one's ever spoken to me disparagingly about that. I'm just proud to be one. I'm proud to be in their fraternity, to be honest with you. What's the biggest question you get from customers when they come to the window? Like, what, what's the most common question? I I, this is what I wish I had a camera, everybody, because you can see her face as instantly she knew. Do you have any rush tickets left? That's the most common question. Do you get rush tickets? Yes. Do you, and you have a rush policy? At- we do. We sell it in the morning. It's not necessarily for students. It's, you know, we first open up and it's, you know, a couple dozen seats, partial views, 35 bucks. But there must be a brochure out there now that goes out to every state and every country that says, ask for rush tickets. And these customers will walk away if you say no, and we'll upsell them or we'll offer them something else. But if it's not rush, they'll move on to the next theater. And that's so crazy to me. Wow. So rush has become so branded that regardless of where it is in the building, they just want it. They just want it. That's what I'm saying. It's in a book. (laughs) <laughs> it's in a book somewhere. Like, go to John's Pizza and ask for a rush ticket. And who are the people that come to the window now? This is what I'm most interested. You know, we most of us buy online, or but who are the people that walk up to the window? Describe that clientele for me, or that demographic. Is is there a typical type? There's a there's a big mix. There's definitely the younger gens, the the twenty year olds that are, you know, love Manhattan and are just soaking it up as much as they can. There are your more affluent couples that are coming out of other states that, again, Broadway is is high on their itinerary, but they're not doing it in advance, which is also interesting. Foreign folks don't come as often. Um, the international patron is not coming as much to me at the St. James right now, just because the show that we have, Something Rotten, requires a bit of knowledge of the English language. It's not a paramour where you're going to walk into and you don't necessarily have to get the dialogue. This is a dialogue rich show. So I think maybe that's why we sometimes don't get as many of the internationals, but we still do get some Canadians. Definitely. It's really a mixture. A lot of, a lot of ticket sales that happen right now, other than the individual buyer are your today's ticks, Broadway box, the secondary buyers. They're coming and they're buying 20 tickets at a clip and they're selling it through their websites. Aha. So at first I thought you were talking about discount buyers, but you're talking about people using discount codes or sites to buy a group of tickets to then resell it Mm -hmm. on the secondary market and hopefully make a profit. That's, I mean, today's ticks is one of the biggest ones. They spend a ton of dough probably at all the shows. 
and their runners come back and forth. I witnessed one day they bought like 30 balcony seats for my shop. Is that a good thing in your opinion or should we, does that mean we're not doing something? Well, you know, pricing well is interesting. Pricing is always, you know, those folks let us know what are the people on that secondary market? What are they looking after? What's that price point? Usually when they are going to like a today's ticks, they are looking for under a hundred dollars, which is sad that they're not coming to the box office because we'll always work to the, with them to buy that. And yet they're paying 10 to $20 service charges to get the same thing. Worse quality, probably. That $57 price point, $75 price point, that's, I think, where these folks are going to these discounts. It's like going to, to Odd Job or Jack's Place. That's where they're going to buy these tickets as opposed to the folks that are going to go to like an Americana. They're going to spend more money or the pens and, and people like that. Today's ticks and, and those guys, that's that's the discount center, like where, you know, cheapticks.com or whatever it is, that's that's where they're going. Then they all buy from us because obviously if they bought from Ticketmaster, you're losing part of your service charges because now you're paying them service charges. What's the biggest complaint you hear about the ticket buying process from from buyers? Do you hear anything at the window about how it's difficult or challenging? Is there anything that, that bugs well, people or even bugs you? Oh, face-to-face sale is always going to be better and customized. I mean, I mean that that's the best thing for, for anybody to do. But obviously, if you're in Wisconsin, you can't go to the box office and buy a ticket. And that's where Ticketmaster is very beneficial to us. Not knowing, I think not knowing what the differences between the price points are and is it worth it for me to pay the 150 as opposed to the 99 as opposed to the 75 like where would i prefer to sit do i need an aisle those are things that you know a computer's not going to answer for you you need to know that ahead of time complaints don't have so many as complaints about ticketmaster as i have about the secondary sites because you know the stub hubs and the vivids and and things like that it you they have to have some sort of a trust in this buyer and not necessarily is it always going to work out on their behalf. That's where we come up with a couple more problems or I tried to print my tickets out and I couldn't. I've been on the phone with customer service. I haven't been able to get through. The phones, I think, are probably more problematic than the internet because you can always just drop. What do you think is more important to the customer, location or price? I think it's a combination of both. And I think it's de- depending on the demographic that's buying. Take for your younger students type, it's always price. And that's where your rush and your lottery are always going to be top. Whether I say you're in the last row of the balcony and it's partial view, is it 35? Yes. I could have hundreds, thousand seats available at 147. I'll take the partial view at 35, please. Or you're going to have the guy that's going to drop his platinum Amex and he's giving me the best seats in the house. Love that buyer. I want more of those buyers. I so remember sitting in the last row on the aisle of that second balcony at the <laughs> St. James when I was in college many, many times. Mm-hmm. Tommy. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest mistake you think producers make when they price their tickets? Anything that you see that we could do differently in terms of how we price? Such a big topic of conversation um, now in every ad meeting that I'm at. I think that 
you have to pay attention to your discount strategy. And if you are able to get the data on where are your uh, discounts going, then you know where maybe your prices should be. Because if you go out of the gate with like, let's say a $300 premium and, you know, a $199 regular and your balcony is filled and your rear of the mezzanine is filled, but your orchestra is empty, then that's ticketing 101. You're top heavy. And very often you're going to see places that are top heavy. And then that's the type of thing that you're going to send to, you know, the TKTS booth and things like that to start filling things in. It's um it's a very delicate situation because you're worried about your ATP. You know, your average ticket price is extremely important these days. And so you don't want to have too many tickets out there at that reduced rate because it's going to ruin your ATP. So you need those higher tickets sold. And you have to worry about your demand and your supply. And you have to worry about the other shows that you're competing against. So you have to take all these things, and I'm sure that they do, um, okay, what are, what is my direct competition? How are they priced? What are my costs? And, and you have to come up with that, that, that perfect spot right in the middle. And sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're spot on. And this is where my experience is still a little limited. And, you know, maybe talking to my predecessor, he would tell you exactly what they should be priced at because he was there for 40 years and he saw producers come in and out. Right now, I know something rotten. I don't know any other shows. So I might have to take a step back from that question and say, I'm going to learn that as I go along. But I'm always asking the question and I'll say, hey, what do you think we should do about this? And you can't be afraid to ask that question. Like, we're, we've got half of an orchestra right now. What do you want to do about it? Do we want to offer it to a TDF? Do we want to run a sale of some sort? another catch-22. Does it cheapen your ticket by going out with too many of those promotions? I know for the spectacular, discounts started almost a week after we went on sale, and very often our, our patrons got savvy to it, and they wouldn't buy a ticket until that buy one, get one free coupon came out. So did we, as the producers at Radio City, create that problem ourselves by being so aggressive to sell and not wait? So, it's a game. It's gambling, don't you think? Yes, I do actually. Mm-hmm. Very expensive gambling. But you, you what I again, the, what's cool about the treasure is that us producers, we sit in these offices and we so rarely get to be on on the ground talking to these folks. You mentioned trying to upsell rush folks. Mm-hmm. So you have the authority to try and absolutely. We had a conversation with this early on in 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 because we have a whole new crew, obviously at the James since I got there. Um, and it was a conversation that we had, you know, let's say we're sold out of lottery, we're sold out of rush. How do we capture them? We need price points to be able to say, not let them walk away from the window. And that's my biggest thing is nobody walks away. I mean, there's, there's going to be times that they're going to walk away, but I want to capture them. So if capturing them means taking the last row of the balcony and selling it for 37, which is just is basically what the lottery is, that's where the show is giving me some leeway. Yes, offer it at that price point because it's only $2 more. And you could say, I don't have Rush, but I actually have a full view seat for only $2 more. How about that? Or for only $10 more, I could put you in the mezzanine towards the back, $49. That's, that's a home run right there. 
And then they start thinking about it and they're like, you know that seat back there, or do I want it for 10 bucks more, $14 more, I can move down. Some people can't afford that $14. And we're aware of that. But those that can, that's where the upsell comes into play. You know, and if they, if they jump on that 49, then it's, you say, well, for 99, we can put you there. You know, where the conversation is then led to, what do you, what would you like to spend? What's more important to you, the price or the seat? And you ultimately have that conversation with the person in front of you. Because once they start jumping around, they ask for rush first. Oh, do you have anything better? Now, kind of reel them in. Okay, well, where do you like to see a show? Do you prefer to see it in the mezzanine? Do you prefer to see it in the orchestra? And the conversation happens, and that's how the relationship is formed. And can you wind up selling them a full price ticket? Yes. Very often, they are going to buy that 37 balcony seat because that's what they came to buy. Yeah, you sold me on that $37 balcony <laughs> ticket right here. I, I want to go now, uh, which I, I, I just love this part this uh, of what you do because this was one of the biggest mistakes I made as a producer and even as a company manager was – we, we're all of us here who create product, we're such control freaks about our product mm-hmm. and we want to control it. We're so afraid it's going to get out there for less than it's worth yeah. that I find some producers that I've worked for and then myself, I almost, no, 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 I don't want you to do it. Just sell it the way it's supposed to be. And, and if they walk away, they walk away. And it was hearing conversations like that from treasurers saying, just trust us. We know what yeah. we're doing. And I think it's important for all the producers and managers out there listening to empower the treasurers because you guys are talking Let us do to, our job. Yeah. You're talking to customers more than we are. So I, I love it. And again, that was a masterful sales lesson right there. <laughs> Thank you. Where do you think ticketing is going? Where do you think it'll be in 20 years? What do you think it'll look like? I don't think it's going to change that, that much. I mean, we've already made you know huge strides with buy on your own, print on your own, scan on your own. I mean, at the Red Bulls, we were using cards. All your entire season was on one card. And it was a cashless society, even if you wanted to put your money on that card too, you scanned your ticket in for all 20, you know, home games. You could go and buy your beer and your hot dog on that same card. And it's completely a cashless society. So that's cool. That comes down to your ticketing systems. New York really is star Ticketmaster, And then you've got, you know, maybe a tickets.com or something trying to eke its way in. Maybe like an audience view who was ATG is now partnering with. So there's others that are coming in, but they don't have that web presence, that presence. And, you know, you open up any one of the newspapers to see what's happening. And it's always, you know, t- by Ticketmaster.com, Ticketmaster.com, or they'll tell you exactly where to buy it. That makes it easier to decide what to do, where to go for the weekend, what show to see, because it's easy to get online and to buy those tickets or... TKTS. I mean, think how much TKTS has done for Broadway. People line up and line up and line up, and they don't even know what they're going to see. That's a good thing and a bad thing, too. You know, again, the blessing and the curse. More internet, obviously mobile. Everything is mobile, 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 mobile. When you when you have a website, it needs to be mobile friendly, and and we need to um, you know to keep up with that. You know, treasures are always going to be necessary because it's so easy to screw it up. You buy four sets of them instead of one, you know, because you keep clicking that submit thing or you go into the tunnel and you lose your signal and you can't, you don't know what happened to it. Or you come to a box office that, you know, the Wi-Fi is, there's like a thousand people on their phones. You can't download your seats off of your email and you can't get in. 
So there's, you know, there's, there's interesting things that these are all great things, you know, it's immediate access. And I think that's what happened to our society. We want it now. We want it yesterday. It's got to happen right now, right now. I want to see it. It doesn't always work that way. So, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't mind it taking a step back. If you could get all the Broadway producers in one room, what would be the one thing you would tell them that they should do to sell more tickets? Interesting question. Think back to your hot dog selling days, to your concerts. What's the one thing that you think we could do that we're not doing well enough? I don't know if I have all the experience to answer that question yet. I do. I would love to have a conversation with them, like, why? You know, explain the why. Why are you going to that price point? What in your research has told you to do that? Are you, or at a second, I guess, you know, this will be my answer. Have it options. Instead of just having two options, maybe have that third option. And, you know, think about your, your balcony, those, you know, those that are lucky enough to have a balcony. Price accordingly. Have maybe a, a less expensive option available in your side rear orchestras. And something rotten has been very, very good with that. So I hope, you know, other producers are that way as well. Have options. Because if you have options... Most of the coupons that are out there now are turning that $147 seat down to $99. Well, if you already have a $99, you're not going to need that coupon. And then you're not a discounted ticket, and that's part of your full price. So your ATP is going up because of that. Options. And know your, know, know, I'm sure they know who they're up against and, and who they think their demographic is going to be. Do you think tickets are too expensive generally? We hear this all the time on Broadway. Tickets on Broadway are too expensive. Are they? But the consumers are buying them. So if they were too expensive, they wouldn't be spending the money on them. It's, you know, the same problem with why is somebody spending 2,000 seats on a Hamilton ticket? Because someone's buying it. That's not Hamilton's fault. It's the guy who's like, I don't care what I'm going to pay. If you have options, then no, the good seats should be more expensive. I think the most important thing is to educate our our consumers is, do they have any idea how much it costs to put a show on? Is a $35 seat going to pay for makeup and costumes and dry cleaning and and, and the cast and the crew? It, It costs money to put those masterpieces on stage. And maybe if they understood that part of things, you know, educate them. I don't know how to do that. I'd love to educate them. That would make my job a heck of a lot easier and I could upsell everyone then. Okay, Chris, my last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and wants to thank you for all the upselling that you do at Something Rotten, the genie, a.k.a. Kevin McCollum, uh, (laughs) comes to to thank you and says, I'm going to grant you one wish. One wish to change one thing about Broadway that drives you so crazy. Makes you angry, makes you mad. You're such a great salesperson, lovely <laughs> woman. Um, what makes you mad about Broadway that you'd ask this genie to change away the well, staff of a First of all, I my answer to this would always be the same as I'd always ask the genie for more wishes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Kevin McCollum will not give you more wishes. <laughs> because then I could give you a couple different things that I could change. Well, I've already told you that I want a more educated consumer. Just remember that Lowman's commercial from a long time ago. Was it Siemens? I forget which one it was. The educated consumer would be much better uh, because they'd they'd understand what is entailed to put on the production that they're about to see. 
I, maybe the biggest thing I would change is, is that rush. Is that $35 ticket. It's necessary. I know it's, it's part of the culture now. One of the hardest tickets to sell is a $35 seat. And that doesn't make any sense. So you're saying it's a it's hard for you to sell a thirty five dollars seat, but if it has the word rush on it, you could probably sell a thirty nine dollars. Yeah. Or let's just sell the whole house and say the whole house is rush. <laughs> a hundred and fifty dollar rush ticket. We should try that. Well, I, I have tried. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this, and thanks so much for for being on the front lines. We're lucky to have you there talking to our consumers. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. This is Ken Davenport in the Producers Perspective Podcast. Don't forget, with your Producers Perspective Pro membership, you get an exclusive newsletter with all sorts of stuff that I can't say on my blog, mailed directly to your home. Check out theproducersperspectiveproducerspro.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.